I'm Evan DeWald, and I am joined by Tara Lindsley, and we are the voices behind the Unpacked Podcast. On the Unpacked Podcast, one of the things we love to do is talk about life and storytelling, and sometimes life gets messy and vulnerable and all those things. So we have conversations, conversations with counselors, with psychologists, with industry leaders, storytellers, and just regular humans that are making a difference in the world. Yeah, and we're just hoping to grow and reflect and heal together. So you can find our podcast anywhere you subscribe to your podcasts. New episodes come out every Thursday. Enjoy. Make sure to like and subscribe. See you there. Hey, Tara. Hey. How are you? I'm pretty good. You? Not too bad. Wild weekend. It was a busy one for you. Yeah, we had some surprise guests. (laughs) Yeah, that's always fun. And you know what? It it was one of those things where I was like, wow, this is going to be a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it turned out to be great. Yeah, you always enjoy it when it's happening. Yeah, like there's my cousin, some my cousin and and his wife, and they're just awesome people. And it was it, it it really did turn out to be really some fun conversations and good things. And yeah, it played out pretty well. We got a lot of things though. Yeah, it was like an already busy yeah. weekend. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely already a busy weekend. So that, so, but they're they're pretty easy going and kind of just joined us. Yeah, so so you got to see them. I know, I was going to say, it was fun. We got to hang out with them because we were all planning to have a hangout anyways. So it worked out great. Oh, uh, and what was that cocktail you made? Oh, What did I buy? What did you buy? Well, you haven't paid for it yet. So technically (laughs) nothing. (laughs) It was a ginger cranberry like mojito. Yeah. It was good. It was. I felt like it needed more like bubbles. Salad. (laughs) Yeah, you're not a fan of like, you know, mint in your drink. I didn't want to be overly critical. When you handed it to me, I was like, "Uh, there is a salad in my drink. What are these leaves? Have you not had a mojito? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I have. (laughs) I know. As soon as I was doing it, because last year I made something with a garnish in it, too. And you did not like that there was the garnishes in it. Although the mint actually adds flavor. It had purpose. Yeah, it was. The mint probably was a nice touch. It is. That's how you make a mojito. Oh, don't you ever like worry you're going to take a sip and it's going to be like a big green leaf on your you know front tooth? Yeah, it was more fun. I don't know. <laughs> I'm was, not I, a bartender. I drank. I, no, no. This was not some insult on you and your drink, you know. Yeah, you just asked me to hold the salad on the next cocktail. <laughs> so I think only because you caught me, you know, scooping the leaves off of the top of my drink and put them in the garbage. It's really good drink etiquette you got. Oh, and you know what? I, I felt like I had something to say about how that drink was made. Why? Um, because I was paying for it. Oh, yeah. What happened? Why did you have to pay for it? Well, a couple of weeks ago, Matt and I were out in the shop playing around and we did a little... He, he always turns something into a... A game or a, a challenge. A game or a challenge, right? And... Uh, we were riding a bike around the thing and it showed up on one of the reels. We, we, we've been showing it if, you, if you're following us on social media. It was good. And he beat me. What? He didn't beat no, you? No, he didn't beat me at that. Oh. So when you suggested we do a reel with this little competition of like throwing pins and all these things. Yeah. You know, I was feeling pretty high. You're feeling confident? Well, I was feeling very confident. So Coming off your other win. Yeah. And then, and then you beat me like twice in a row. Yeah, it was one of those games, we'll post it on our social media, but it was one of those games where we like could make suggestions of what the other person had to do. Well, was it a suggestion or was it like, if I get this, you're going to? Oh, it was a demand, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're the loser, so you have to do this thing. Yeah. So anyways, you threw the pen across the room and landed it in the cup. 
to pay for our Christmas drinks. And I had to pay for, now I have to pay for the Christmas drinks. Mm-hmm. So I should have a say whether I have salad in it or not. That's all I'm saying. Oh, okay. That's why I was trying I to say I feel like it. you have a say in it if you plan it. Well, that's a theory. <laughs> <laughs> you, you should have, you're saying you should have a say in it if you go to the store and you get all the things and you, then you yeah. show up and you stand at the counter and make the drink and. Yeah. yeah. Well, the other person is like sitting at the kitchen table Doing a puzzle? Yeah. Okay, I think we can go with that. I, I, I can see your train of thought of how maybe I should just shut up and drink what's put in front of me since I did nothing. I didn't say that, but I <laughs> no, like that you got this, got us there rationally. No so. two would ever say it like that. Right. Yeah, no Enneagram 2 would say it yeah, like that's that ever. Right. It's even why I said it was a suggestion into the cup, yeah, but it's, it's not. No, it was not. I lost. Hands down, lost. What was the other one? I feel like I'll have to watch the video again. I feel like it was episode descriptions or editing or something you you get to do. Get to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be interesting. Yeah, it will be interesting for you to figure out. Yeah. yeah I'll have to do a little bit of, of training. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the editing part, I think I can handle. It's, it's when I have to try to upload the thing and actually work with the internet. That might be tricky for, you know, this old guy over here. I think you can do it. For the last couple of years, you have been doing all the editing. Yeah. Which is a lot of work. And I'm eternally grateful for that. And you're good at it. You're good at like what, what should come out, what should stay in. Yeah, I like it. All of those kinds of things. Like it is a gift set. And actually we have been complimented by other podcasters and even other editing mm-hmm. groups that have been like, your podcast is really well edited. Uh, you know, it's obviously a gift set, but it's been very time consuming. It's a bit, it's probably the one thing in doing a podcast that is the most time consuming Yeah, for me. I actually feel like the rest of it for us is pretty natural and pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Like we can find people to come on. Like it's fun to do that kind of research and go back and forth and listen to people and figure that out. I don't find that as time consuming. Yeah. But editing, like, there's no way to speed it up, really. Yeah, you got an hour and a half of and you material listen. and you go to listen. <laughs> You'll have to tell, teach me all the, the little tricks you do to, you know, make your way through it. Yeah, maybe you'll get really good at it and better than me at it. Whoa. No, it's like dishes around here. You know, if you do a, if you do a shitty job, you don't get, you to don't do get the job again. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, those are maybe my younger years. Now I, I, I try. Oh, good. But I will admittedly, I will say this. I always am happy to help, but I still haven't learned to have the eyes to know where to just do something. No. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm not lazy. Anyway, this this is going off the rails. We got to <laughs> stop this. <laughs> Do you ever feel like you, you've just like purchased a shovel and you started digging a hole? And you're like, I wonder how deep this goes before I die in it and can't get out. That's how I feel right in this exact moment. So I think yeah, we should stop. I think so too. Yeah. Magenti. Let's talk about grief. So you know what? It, it, it's, it's interesting because today's uh, guest is... Somebody who's been through a lot, her story, um, and, and maybe this is like your warning for listening to this intro, her story does, is a story of mental health challenges uh, for her her child. Yeah, like suicide and loss is on this episode. Yeah, and we were so grateful that she was willing to come on and kind of share a part of that story and what she's trying to do to, to, to change the way that we see mental health. And and I can be honest with you, this is like, this is becoming more and more important to me as a, as a man. Hmm. What do you um, mean? 
mental health among men is on the rise and secrecy around mental health among men. Yeah. And uh, I think that that is so tragic that so oftentimes we see, um, you know, something on Facebook or we see that somebody has taken their life or, or has been lost to mental illness in some way. And I'll admit this for me. I'm like, oh, I had no idea. Yeah. And I've tried my best to talk about my own mental health challenges and some of those things throughout the story, throughout my story in my life. But I, but I do recognize that even at that time, I remember how difficult that was. Even, you know, we've talked about it on the podcast, my first visit to see a counselor and how terrifying that was. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just a terrifying to have somebody ask me a whole bunch of questions and to, to go and see a therapist. It was even, what if somebody sees me walking into the therapist? Interesting. Yeah. So I have, I have experienced that personally, you know, that I want to be seen as strong and confident and competent and all of those kinds of things. And yet, yeah, things have got messy for, for me in my life. And this is not just this last year and a half, this is years. Yeah. In a lifetime. Yeah. And, um, and so I think, for me, the growing awareness and each time I encounter or hear a story of another man that's taken their life, um, I am in that kind of danger zone as a, in terms of my age, my demographic and all those kinds of things. There's something that seems even more tragic about it. Yeah, that people suffer alone. Yeah, the taking of one's life is tragic. There's like nothing, there's no way around it. But I, I go back into the, what sort of loneliness was going on in that what were the fear what was so fearful about telling others um that you need help yeah so whenever i when i talk mental health oftentimes i think about men in particular and that's because i am a man um but i also think it is because it's a predominant thing that's happening in our culture and i think women are are braver well i don't know if it's braver but i think also women are more naturally socialized Mm -hmm. and allowed to talk to each other about those things in conversation yeah, and can sit across the room from each other and say it's hard. And it's also not like I've said many times I go to therapy or I feel anxiety or whatever, and nobody's looking at me Mm -hmm. like I'm weak, but there is a different connotation typically with how even women sometimes expect men to be. Yeah. So that's something I think that's slowly changing in conversation helps, but it's not solved. It's not solved. No. And I do think men are more isolated in that way. Yeah. So I think that that's, that's partially why even today's story, even though we're talking about a young person uh, who is clearly going through some difficult thing, and but we're hearing it from the perspective of a mother. And uh, Magenti is like a great example of a mom who was just desperately trying to help her son. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how she would word this, even this question. You're going to hear her story in a bit. And so there is a tragic nature to this story today. This is not a happy ending story today, but it's an important story. And I think it's one that if you're listening right now and you're like, no, I don't have time or space for a sad story today. Maybe this is this is a moment for you to pause and just go, but how can you be curious about what she was learning and how she shares so that you can use that to care for other individuals who are in your life. Because we know this time of year is really hard. There's lots of loss and grief. Yep. 
yeah. And for those of us who live in cold climates, it's getting cold and that adds to people's isolation and, and desperation even in some areas. So she's a great storyteller. Yeah. Artist. Uh, like she's, she's like an author. Turned this into art. I was, that's mm -hmm. what I was trying to say. It was like her words have turned into a, a form of art and it really is her journal. Yeah. How cool is that? That's turned into, into the story of kind of what they were experiencing and going through both, uh, during and then following after her second book is kind of about that. So um, she was fun to talk to. Um, she clearly has done a lot of work and a lot of healing around this whole thing. And that was obvious um, in the way that she was able to talk about it and shared about it. So yeah, there's something holy and beautiful that happens. Yeah. And she wants to share the story to help other people. Yeah. When people open their lives up, it's, there's a sacred thing, sacredness to it. And I think we experienced that um, on today's episode and in our conversation with her. Hey, um, if you are listening, we love it when you like, subscribe, subscribe, share all of those things. Uh, it's one of the ways that we get the word out there about what we're trying to do it on, on Unpacked and why we think it's important. Today's conversation is important um, to people's health and well-being and even survival in some cases. And so I do hope that you can get something from this story. Leaving a review, it's kind of a big deal, isn't it? I don't know anything about the computer. <laughs> it helps people find us. We want more people to find it. And it helps people get the episode right to their device. Ah. I guess it could be on your computer. I think most people listen on their phones to podcasts. They do. I, I usually do. Although today I didn't. I would listen on Wikipedia. I know. Today. You're going to prove me wrong because of that today. Just today. But... but it's been a long time since I did that. Yeah. Leaving us a review is really helpful. And it's one of the ways that we can get out some of the stories that we get to hear. And even some of the questions and curiosity around some of the things that we've got to learn. Yeah. Over the last uh, long, long period of time. Um, and if you want to support Unpacked, uh, you could pause this right now and just go to our Patreon account. Yeah. We'd love that if you would consider you know, financially giving towards kind of the work that we're trying to do here at Unpacked. Enjoy this episode um, with Magenti. Oh, Tara, it is good to be back. I know, I'm excited to be in person. Again. We have not recorded in person in weeks. Yeah, it's been a while and we are away. All the things. All the things. And today uh, we did a little international travel, actually. We did. We absolutely did. And today we have an international guest. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Over the pond, I think they call it. <laughs> no, we are so excited. We, we are going to ask you in a second where exactly over the pond you are. But Majendi is here and we are super excited about this conversation and kind of how we how we connected with you and some of those kind of things. You're an author. Uh, you have a you have a huge story, mm -hmm. I think. And um, and so I'm I'm looking forward to kind of hearing a little bit about it. And there's some hard things in it, mm -hmm. some really hard things in it. And uh, so we don't we don't typically do major warnings, but I will say that this is this is maybe one of those if you've lost a loved one that's close to you and younger, that it might be one of those things you might want to just just think about before you. For you continue listening. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing good. Do Do you want to Do you want to uh, tell us how you say your last name now? Because I was not about to try it. I, I was okay. like, nope. <laughs> so nervous. <laughs> so I'm Majendi Jarrett. Yes, with the R, right? You were we were practicing before, <laughs> and before we press record, and then I was like, nope, I give up. I'm going to do it badly, so I'm not going to do it, but. Yeah. 
And you are you're on the other side of the world, it seems. From uh, us. From us. Um, we're on the other side of the world from you. Can you tell us like exactly where are you? So I am I am in Dunstable in Bedfordshire, which is about um say 30 to 40 minutes drive from London. Mm, okay. So that gives you some so kind of north of London. But not exactly. You, I'm, don't ever say I'm north because I'm still considered to be south. Oh, okay. okay. It's, it's because, because it's still that close to London. <laughs> got it. I got you. I got you. <laughs> so they like to claim you as, you know, as part of London. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. And is it kind of like rural where you are or is it more of like a suburb? It's kind of, no, it's, it's, it's more, it's, it's very close to, to town. But not actually in town. Okay. Yeah, I think we got it. We <laughs> we live in Chestermere, which is just outside of the city of Calgary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we want to hear a little bit of your story, and um, and then we're, we are leading up to kind of hearing a little bit about the book uh, that you've written. Actually, you're on you're on your second book. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So we'd like to hear a little bit about kind of both and kind of how you've come to this space and what what you what inspired it or compelled you to write it. my thing might be the best way of wording it. It could be either one. And uh, yeah, so as we kind of kick off, can you tell us a little bit about you and your life and the facts maybe, so to speak, of, of your story? So I, I have been in, in, in the UK for 30 years, right? But before that, I, I was born in Sierra Leone. Um, that's in West Africa. Because sometimes people get it no, confused. It's good. Know that <laughs> yeah. place. Yeah. <laughs> so it is in West Africa. I am um, on my mom's side. I am the sixth child and the last one and the only girl. Oh. On my dad's side, I am the fifth child um, and the second girl. Yeah, I was going to say, I was just doing the math. That's uh, higher than I can count on one, on two hands, actually. Yeah. Okay, wow. Okay. <laughs> so I, already, you, now I have a question. So the youngest on your mom's side and the only girl. That's right. What What does that mean in Sierra Leone? Like, what? how would that culturally, culturally mean? What does that culturally mean? Well, my mom, I can put it this way. My mom always wanted a girl. From, she told me that from the very first pregnancy, she was hoping for a girl. And then she went on to have five boys. Yeah, so it was like a lot of disappointment there for a while. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of and, and kind not. Because, you know, when I think about myself, right, when I was having my first child, I was hoping for a girl. I think there's something in us, well, in most women, I wouldn't say in all, but in most women, when you're pregnant, that you're hoping that you're going to bring forth a mini-me. Yeah, uh, there you go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, my, mom, my mom was thinking that she's going to bring a mini-me and she was bringing out all these boys, you know, until it got to me. And one thing she learned me when she told me that story is that she never get, gave up. She never gave up. She persevered and she finally had me. <laughs> so, yeah. So she was relieved, actually. That, yeah. yeah. She didn't have to. She didn't have to have a seventh child. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think after me, she would have given up. 
Um, so, so you make your way from Sierra Leone into the UK. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. What was that like? And what, what instigated that or initiated that? There's a little bit of, you know, all through, all through this conversation, there's going to be a little bit of, you know, some sadness because what brought about that is that my mom had come over um, because of a, a death, you know, the, um, the, her husband, who wasn't my dad, that she was married to, had passed away. And so she came over, you know, for, for the funeral and for everything. And then while she was here, um, it, I think it had been like nine months. And then my brother, who was um, at the time four years older than me, got taken ill. And because we, we were in Sierra Leone, you know, um, hospital in terms of kidney, something that now you look, now that I'm over here, it's kind of like nothing, you know, to have dialysis and be able to uh, uh, um, support the kidney. That was a big thing over there. You know, at that time, 31 years ago, there was no dialysis to be found. So, so that so my brother ended up passing away, you know, at, at the very young age of twenty nine. Wow. Okay, wow. So so then my my aunt, who this is my my mom's youngest sister, she she was, I would say she was a high flyer. She was she was the first gynecologist in Sierra Leone. She was always traveling, and she she said to me, you know, like nine months after my brother had passed that. I'm going to take you over to England so that you can see your mom because my mom wasn't able to, wasn't able to come over and she was missing, you know, especially me being, being the youngest and being the, 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 the girl as well. So she said to me, she said, I'm going to take you over so that you see your mom. And I, and I said to her, well, if you take me over, I'm not coming back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you would have been what, like 25, something like that? 25 years old. Yeah. I, I was, yeah. I was around yeah, 25. So she was like, if you, I said, if you take me over, I'm not coming back. And she said, well, that's between you and your mom. That's fine, you know. So, of course, then when I came, you know, got connected with my mom. And that's how I ended up staying in England. Because I didn't originally was looking to come over and stay here, you know. But once my mom was here, you know, she was missing uh, my brother who had passed away. And I just thought, yeah, if I'm, yeah, you know, I've always been very close to my mom. Was that a hard decision? Obviously, you wanted to be with your mom, but. No, no, it wasn't a hard decision. It wasn't a hard decision, especially for the fact that after five years, I lost my mom. Yeah, so so it wasn't, I really, really treasure the five years that I was here with her. Well, you know, sometimes we make like really important decisions. And it, it feels like it just happens to us, but, but to be able to get that last five years and be with your mom, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure was a huge, huge deal. I, I would assume you look back on that as a good, as, as such a valuable time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, one of the things, one of the questions we like to ask often, especially when we, when we come across people who have, who have immigrated to different places is, you know, how, how has your past experiences and your past story, how does it shape the way you see the current culture, the current state that you're living in now? Definitely. It does. It does. Because 
one of the things, <laughs> one of the things that you, you, we always, especially us who, you know, grew up back home, whether, whether it's in Africa, whether it's in um, the Caribbean, because my husband is not from Sierra Leone. He's from, from the Caribbean, right? So the fact that we grew up and over there and you get to appreciate every little thing that you have, you know, because you don't take nothing for granted. So when you're over here, and especially when you have kids, you constantly reminding them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're constantly reminding them, you know, it's all your dinner. You know, don't don't waste your food. Don't don't chuck things away because you know you know where you've come from and you know how hard it has been. You know that you don't take you know just even food. You don't take food for granted. You don't take clothes for granted. You don't take the things that you have for granted. So so that definitely my my first twenty five years being back in Sierra Leone. You know, growing up there has definitely shaped the way I look at things, that I really appreciate things. I really appreciate where I've gone. I really appreciate the journey that I've come from because um, nothing has been easy, you know, and I just don't look at things and say, oh, yeah, I'm here now, you know, I'm, I'm good. No, I'm always looking at, you know, how I can help, you know, and I and I do understand and empathize with, you know, friends and family who are back home and they're going through some hardship because I know what it is like to be thinking, where 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 is your next meal gonna come from? Yeah, so so I do so that has shaped me. That has shaped me definitely the way I am, the way I have tried to bring my kids up as well. Even though they they were born here, I, I I've tried to make sure that they appreciate things because that that is very important. It it is kind of an interesting. It's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Um. So if we fast forward your story though. And and you you you've made reference to being married. Your husband's from the Caribbean. What what island is he from? Barbados. Okay. Oh, nice. Okay. Cool. Very mm-hmm. very cool. And um, I'm assuming was he already there in yeah, in he, the UK he, he when was you got here, there? Yeah. Okay. He was here. He came over when he was only 14. So he was he was yeah. He spent a longer time in UK than I have yeah. yeah so how did you guys meet then we met at a barbecue oh <laughs> we, we we yeah we met at a barbecue it's quite interesting because I have a very good friend who her cousin at the time was married to my my husband's friend so they were, they were actually having a barbecue for their first child's um, birthday and she said to me my friend said to me said you know can you please please cook some of this jollof rice I don't know if you've had of jollof rice before but it's a very it's a favorite dish from West Africa and you know she's from she's from Zimbabwe and she was saying to me can you cook some of can you bring some of this along and I was like oh I'm not sure I'm not sure I'm not sure because <laughs> I would have finished work and then I have to cook and then to bring it and then and then she said yeah 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 please 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 so, so she arranged transportation everything somebody to come and pick me up somebody to take me there you know so I was like okay I got there and as soon as, um, what was very interesting, actually, the guy who took me there 
decided he was invited as well. He, he was a mutual friend of both of both of us. And, and he decided he wasn't coming in. He was like, no, I'm just dropping you off. I said, no, no, no. I said, you invited us well. How, how are you just going to drop me off? He said, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm just going to drop you off. And when you're ready, I can come and pick you up. So it was really interesting, right? Because I'm thinking if he had come, my husband would have thought that we were together. So he yeah. wouldn't yeah. have come, you know, to chat me up. <laughs> so that's what got him then. That's what, that's what convinced that's what this guy. That, that was the selling feature. Yeah. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, your husband. That's what got hey, him. Hey, if you can make a dish that gets you a husband. That's pretty. That's pretty great. It's impressive, actually. <laughs> uh, so, tell us a little about about your family makeup then, and kind of what what does your family start to look like then, and and let's let's move kind of into that part of your of your journey. So, um, so yeah, so we we met there, and then it was very interesting because it felt like within the space of a year, right? I saw him all, almost every day. He just came. Kept coming back for that. Yeah, we, we met at the barbecue and, and that was it. It was like every single day I felt as if I got to know him so well. And what was really interesting as well, it was like a year before my mom passed away. My mom at this time had just been diagnosed with, with cancer. And um, and she was always worried about me, you know. I, had, I wasn't in a relationship and she was always, you know, or what's going to happen to her, you know, and that's that sort of thing. So, so when when I when I met uh, my husband Trevor, he's called, and he said to me he's going to come to to my church, and and when he came to my church, he brought his mom. Oh, serious? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So this was serious, and I was like, oh, you well, you know, I've met your mom, lovely, lovely lady who is still here. And and I said, well, you need to come by and meet my mom. So that's how it started. And then it was like every single day we there was a connection there. And the same year my mom passed away was the same year we got married. And the following year, I I had my first child, um, <clears throat> um who, who, a boy, Nathan. And what was interesting is he just reminded me so much of myself, my side of the family, because he had most of the mannerisms of my 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 brother. You know, it was so much, so much my side of the family that my husband used to say, "This is definitely all you." <laughs> so, so then I I said to him after about two or three years, I said to him, I would like to to have another one, and he was like, mm, you know, one is enough, and I was like, no, I would like to have another one. Said because if no, we we we're gonna constantly be taking Nathan to, you know, a friend here, a friend there, mm, you know, yeah. play. Yeah, that sort of thing. You know, when when you have an only child, you always feel like you know they're missing out on something. So, <clears throat> so he he agreed. Um, the following year, we we had no the the end of that year because December we had Marley, which which was which was my my second son, which is what you know has led to this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what was what? So your first one was a lot like you. 
<laughs> what like Nathan was a lot like you and your family's mannerisms and all those things. What was Marley like? Definitely his dad side. Um, in looks, in his mannerisms, everything, you know, was his dad's side. And even now, you know, now that he's no longer here and I look at my husband, there are certain things that the last two years, three years, I've got to understand that that's definitely where Mali got that from. Yeah, hmm. interesting. So what ends up happening in particular, we're, we're going to talk mostly about Marley. So in particular, what what ends up beginning to happen for Marley and for you and your family? So one of the things, like I said, you know, Nathan is much more like me. You know, I wouldn't say I'm an extrovert, but I am more social, right? I, I can go to, you know, a party, go to an event, and I'm not just going to just be a wallflower. I would mingle. I would go, I would look out for, you know, who I have, who I don't know and go and start a conversation. And Nathan, my, my eldest, is a bit like that. He's much more social. He can hold a conversation. It doesn't matter, you know, the age group of the person, you know. Um, very recently, we, we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. And one of my friends was saying to me, Nathan is so lovely. I was having this deep conversation with him. And afterwards I was saying to Nathan, you know, this person said that you 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 were really, you know, very good to have a conversation with. I was like, really? And he, he was like really shocked because he didn't believe that of, of himself. Whereas Marley, on the other hand, he was always very much more quiet. He was much more um, reserved. As young as when we went on our first holiday, and that was when we, we all went as a family to Barbados, Marley was always like, you know, he just wanted him and Nathan. And of course, when they were in the pool and hanging around, Nathan was making all these friends. And, and, and Marley came running back to us. At that time, he was about um, three going to four. He came running back to, to, to us and said, you know, um, he's not go going to stay with Nathan. I was like, why? He said, oh, he's made lots of friends, you know, they're all hanging around in the pool. So he stayed with us. And that's the sort of, and another time I just thought, yeah, 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 you know, every child is going to be different, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, yeah. They're not all going to be the same. So, but as as we continue to grow up, I, I noticed that even when he got a really good friend that he was attached to, there were times when he would just want his own space. He would just, he would basically just say to this person, you know, you stay down there, don't come to my room, you know, that's it. I was like, that's a bit strange. But then, you know, you kind of like, okay, you know, maybe it was just an off day. But when it became much more clear for us was when he transitioned from primary school to secondary school. So moving from a small school where he was like the kingpin, he had his own circle of friends, he felt comfortable. And now all of a sudden he found himself in this very big school. Um, his friends, some of them had gone to other schools. Um, others had kind of outgrown the friendship 
that they were now making other friends because he was fine if it was just him and this person. But once that person started making other friends and trying to bring in that person into the group, he kind of pulled away. So he was basically saying to me, no, he's not hanging out with that person anymore because now they got this friend and they got that friend and, you know, and then he became very much more isolated. And from, from when he went to that new school, the secondary school, he kept saying that he wasn't um, happy. He didn't like the school. He didn't have any friends. You know, and we kept encouraging him, saying, you know, you'll make friends, you, you'll you be all right. You know, you, th- you think gradually he's going to settle in. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, of course you do. One year goes by, two year goes by, and it's the same thing. And as he, as he continues to grow, you know, so he started that school when he was like 11 going to 12. By the time he was getting to 13, 14, he was still, you know, really not liking the school. And he was still saying to, to me that he didn't have any friends. But, but what was interesting is that he did have some, some people who were friends, but it was never like the friendship that he had when he was at the primary school. Sorry, so making that trans- transition from one particular type of friend or, yes. or environment to another was just a real challenge for him. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely a big challenge for him. But then what what we also started noticing is that he was, he was, for me, and well, for all of us, he was seeing things differently from how we saw things. So it, it wasn't just now about school, but it started becoming like if we had a family event, you know, he would say that this person looked at him or this person said this or said that, you know, and he kind of interpreted it in a different way compared to how that person probably might have meant it. You know, so these were things that we were constantly having discussions about saying, you know, no, don't look at it that way. You know, they didn't mean anything by what they said or they didn't mean by anything that they, that they did, you know. But no, he, he and he would go on and on about it, on and on about it. And at the time, honestly, at the time, we didn't take it to mean that there was more something much more deeper. Yeah, because we just thought, OK, you know. He just has a different perspective on on things, and and for me, it became much more um, stronger or much more clearer when he was around sixteen, going on seventeen. Because by then, now he was um, getting to um, the the final uh, um, year at, at school, and he he was saying a lot of things like he still wasn't happy at school. He was even wanting me to change his school. And I was like, you've already chosen your subject. You're already like in that stage where, you know, you, you're ready now to take your GCSEs. And to be honest, you know, in another year or so, you're not going to be at the school anymore, you know? And, and, and I, I was explaining to him and saying, look, if you think that it's hard being at the school, me changing you to another school where people have already formed cliques. They already have their, their circle of friends. Right? It's going to be really hard for you to go there and break in. 
Mm-hmm. And, and on top of that, you got to understand the dynamics of that school. You got to understand the layout. You got to understand how things are, you know. So, so it, it honestly, it didn't matter what I was saying. He was just fixed with, you know, he didn't want to be at that school anymore. So I even went through the the emotion, the action of, you know, asking him which other school he wanted to go to. And then, you know, inquiring as to whether that was a possibility. But there was a long waiting list. And the thing also, it was out of our own um, county as such. So therefore, he couldn't just, you know, move to that school quite easily. So they put him on the waiting list. I told him that he was on the waiting list. But in, in at the end, they couldn't get a place. He couldn't get a place there. So he ended up having to stay where he was. And and then of course that didn't help with we, we that didn't help him. Yeah. So well, like one of the things that we, you know, I'm hearing for sure is that he had some pretty strong social anxiety that started to started that you started to see. Yes. Even though yes. it's it's so hard. I like all kinds of compassion here on my side. Like you know, I have a 14-year-old that, you know, I've raised a few others that are a little bit older than that. And for sure, as a parent, it is so challenging to see, like, it's always challenging when our children go through difficult things. Always. Like, it, it doesn't really matter in what context that with that. But when you start to see the things that are outside of your control as a parent, and you start to experience social anxiety. We'll just go back to that for just a little bit. And it's like, you know, even in this call, we can see that you... You, you, I guarantee you're good with people, you know, and and so as a as an extrovert or you know what, however you want to identify uh, yourself and kind of how you engage groups, I would suspect that you're you're pretty good at it. It comes naturally to you, and it's a hard thing, isn't it, when we, when something that comes very naturally to us as parents, you start to see your your own children struggle with. Yeah. How did you? How did you see yourself caring for him in that time? Like, I know you've said some things like trying to help him reframe and try to understand some of those things differently. But what was that like as a mom? Yeah, I think one of one of the things, and to be honest, I look at myself now and how I was when I was his age. And I wasn't always like this. This, this was one of the things that I kept telling him. I said, I remember being back in Sierra Leone and being very, very shy. If if I should go back to how I was then and look at myself now, I would be like, no, I couldn't, there was no way I would see myself being the sort of person I am now. And, And that's what I kept saying to him. I said, look, Marley, I said, you know, I, I understand. I understand how you feel, you know, because I have come from a place where I was really, really shy. I, after school, used to get um, um, public transport that would take me, I would say maybe maybe about, if there wasn't so much traffic, maybe about 40 minutes to get to where I needed to get off. But because I was so shy, remember this particular day, the, the um, bus was so full. And it's not like over here where you you press a bell to let the the driver know that you're coming off at the next stop, right? There, you had to shout. You you had to shout and say, I'm coming off at the next stop. 
And would I, would I shout? No, I didn't. And you know what? I ended up staying in that bus all the way past my, my stop, all the way about five, ten stops. And then I got off oh, no. and I walked home. So I always used to tell him that story to say, look, I do understand how you feel, right? All bits that it's different situations, right? I have been in that position where feeling very anxious, feeling very nervous, not wanting to speak, you know, being put in position, maybe because sometimes he, he was moved from the table where he used to sit with, you know, four or five or other um, classmates that he was used to and put somewhere else. Not because he was disruptive, but because the others were disruptive. And in his head, he always used to, to say to me, why why is it the one that's being moved? Why aren't they the ones who are being disruptive? Why they are not moved? You know, and that was something I could never answer. I just said, well, the teacher probably seen that you, you're going to be better sitting with these other people who are much more attentive mm-hmm. and much more, you know, no disruption going on there. But that used to really unbalance him. That used to really unbalance him. But I used to try to put myself in his shoes. Wow. So it really goes from social anxiety to some mental health stuff, which you've been describing. And and I'm sure that our listeners have caught on that Marley ended up essentially making a decision to 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 do something that was irreversible in that he ended his life. Yeah. I I don't want to guide you through this part. I I actually would really more like set the table for you to tell us what that what that experience was like for you as a mother and in your family. It's it's a it's a hard one and you know every time for us as we start approaching this time, you, you call it fall, we call it autumn, you know, as we approach September, October, because he actually took his life in December. And, and it was just after his um, 18th birthday. So for, for, my, for, for me and for my family as well, we had thought the pandemic was helping him because for the fact that he didn't want to mix. He didn't, he, he, you know, I'm a social person and I'm always having, you know, family or friends coming around or being invited where we have to go as a family. And it, it, it had got to that point where Mali was, was always, you know, annoyed, you know, don't want to go, don't want to mix, don't want to do do that, don't want to, why are we going there? Why this? Why is this? And it wasn't just about going somewhere, it's about who is coming to the house now? You know, who, who is coming to the house? And it, it, it got to the point where when we had the pandemic, and of course nobody was coming to the house, we were not going anywhere, I thought, okay, he would he would like this you know, it's just the four of us. But unfortunately, I realized that he started even withdrawing from us as a family, as a family of four. I I remember around this time in 2020 saying to him, you know, 
at Christmas, we're all going to sit at the table because it had got to the point where when it was dinner time, he was always waiting until, you know, the table was clear. Nobody was sitting at the table. Then he would be down to have his dinner. And it was something that we fought about until the point I was thinking, you know what, I'm not going to fight about this. You know, the main thing is he's eating, he's coming down, he's eating, right? But then I was thinking, at least for Christmas, we would like that, I would like that everybody's at a table like we have done before. We have the we have the crackers, we put on the Christmas hats and all of that. And he was he was like really, really against this, even though we did it the year before. So I was like, and he was, and I could see he was getting really stressed about this. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, this is November. Still go, we still go to, to go through November before we get to December. But think about this. So I wasn't expecting it. My husband wasn't expecting it. You know, his brother, my, my son, my eldest son, wasn't expecting it. Because he's never, he'd never said anything about him having that he's having suicidal thoughts. He's never said that. So that was a big, big shock for us. That was a big shock. Honestly, December, eight days after his birthday, and finding out that it's not like when you have a child and they do something and you know that, okay, you can talk to them and say, well, now you've learned your lesson. You know, this is something that you don't do. No, this action was... There was no do-over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and it was tough. Really, really tough. Because you, you, you as, as, as a parent, you start thinking, how did I miss this? How did I miss this? How didn't I see this coming? How, how, how did I miss this? And it wasn't just me. It was like, my husband was saying the same thing. You know, his brother was saying the same thing. How did we miss this? How didn't we see this? And, and then I remember, I can remember vividly that day, feeling anger, feeling frustrated, feeling as if, you know, all of a sudden we were in the limelight because when, when I discovered him, I had to call the, the police. I had to call the ambulance. And all of a sudden, the house was flooded with, with, with police because they were thinking, you know, is this real? There was a lot of mixed emotions, yeah. lots of mixed emotions, yeah. you know. And then to know that he was gone, you know, and that was it. And I was thinking, wow, how, how? And, and it, took, it, took a, it took a long time before I can kind of stop being angry hmm. about the fact that, you know, he didn't give me the opportunity to talk him out of it, to tell him that that's not the option. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think um, I think we shouldn't edit out that silence. Mm -hmm. 
because I think what you've just described is is heart wrenching, and it it also it also it is also a representation of what a lot of parents have had to go through, yeah. and loved ones, people who have loved others who have struggled with uh, different forms of mental illness, and the unknowing of kind of what's going on. And, and, it, and it's not from a lack of not wanting to know what's going on or not trying to figure out what's going on. And it, it's funny because, you know, something that comes to mind from an episode, actually a conversation we had uh, with somebody that was actually helping both Tara and I heal. We were kind of talking through kind of a challenging thing that had happened in our, in our story stories. And it was grief. Like it was grief. And, and, and it's funny because this, this lady who was a pastor, uh, she was just so fantastic at listening to us. And then she just said, yeah, but of of course you had hoped. Mm -hmm. You had hoped that this was going to work out differently. And you had hoped that, that healing would come and you had hoped that, and of course you did. How could you not? You're you're a mother. You're yeah. of course you had hoped that healing would come for your son. And even believing that, like you said, after this the next year of school, it could be different for him. Yes. Like you could understand that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I I, I think th- this is like just this kind of moment of of recognizing that it's like when we lose, when we when we experience grief, when we lose somebody, and in particular in a story like this, you know, it, it it's described. You know, it was best described to me years and years ago, and I've used this term a lot. It's like emotional whiplash. It's it's like all of a sudden some somebody is kind of jerked out of your life, and and that the repercussions of that are long lasting. Yes. yes. And the healing from that is, takes a lifetime. Mm, a lifetime, definitely. And uh, and so I think that's a little bit of why you know, we wanted to hear about Marley before, because before he started to suffer from some of these things, because I think that's that's the reminders that we as parents want to remember is, is this child that really blessed us in our life. And, and it sounds to me like he really did do that in your life yes. and in your story. Yes. This leads you... To, to write to, to write a book, to, to tell this story. And so this isn't just the first time you've told this story on a podcast live, but you've actually written this story down. Can you can you tell us a little bit of what that's been like over the last you know several years as as obviously you start to make this transition and, and how has some of the healing work been done mm-hmm. in the process of of writing this down in a book? Well, what's interesting is that back in 2019, right? So whilst I would say, whilst things were escalating with Marley, that's when I started writing the first book. And it wasn't meant to be published. You know, I started writing it down as a sort of journaling. And then it was meant for me to get it printed and give it to Marley when he was like in his 20s. 
you know, like you were saying, it's, it's interesting that you were saying about this person who was talking about hoped. Yeah, yeah. he had hoped. hoped. That, yeah. So, so, so for me, I was thinking, let me write this down. So I'm capturing things that were happening, right? And when two, three years later, when he was past this stage, I would be able to give it to him and said, ah, this was what was going on. This was how I was feeling. This was the thing. These were the things that you were saying, you know, like for instance, every day coming from school and being, you know, mad and really, really mad that you cannot even say to him, how is school? It's like you trigger something off because he had had such a bad day at school. So I was journaling all of these and it got to the point in 2019 when I stopped. And the reason why I stopped because we were all going back to Sierra Leone for a wedding. And for my husband, that was the first time that he was going. For both, both boys as well, that would be the first time that they're going when they would be able to recognize and remember things because I had taken them when they were really, really young. Mali, of course, would not have remembered anything because he was a baby at the time. So I was, you know, juggling my full-time job, juggling, organizing this trip, right, which had to be very, you know, methodical with everything. Where are we going to stay? How long are we going to stay for? Because I was constantly getting this, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Why do you want to take me there? Why do you want to take me there? So I was constantly getting, I thought, you know what, I can't be, let me pause with the book. So I paused around, I think it was around August of 2019. Yeah, I started beginning of 20, 2019 and I paused around August. And then we went and then we came back. And then when we came back, of course, the pandemic. So the pandemic, you know, I forgot completely that I was even, you know, writing and started writing this book and, you know, everything. So it was only in 2021 after Mali had passed in the December of 2020, that all of a sudden I remembered that, oh, I was writing all of this down. And I went back and I started looking and, and then only then certain things started making more sense. Because some of the things that he was he was saying that I had written down, some of the behaviors, now it started to become a bit more clearer for me to say, ah, this was what was going on. So, so then I was I was um, thinking to myself, should I continue this? You know, because the way I had thought the story was gonna end for that particular book is not how it was ending if I continue to write it. And then I go, I go, someone reached out to me, you know, it, it was an advert to be honest with you, but the headline kind of spoke to me in that it said, the book that you've started writing, 
this is the year that you'll publish it. And he was like, (gasps) (laughs) and I was like, okay. And then of course, I was in different um, support groups, you know, um, to help me with what I was going through. And every time I spoke to people and people were just admiring my strength, you know, how God had brought, how God was bringing me through this, how God was bringing me through this. And I was thinking, it might be a good thing for me to finish this book, even though it's not how I had thought it would go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I then sat down that 2021 and completed it. And, and what was interesting for me is that the book has served for me, it's like three purples. It's like one, it, it was very, it was, it was hard. Uh, oh, I can't yeah. imagine. <laughs> I cannot yeah. imagine. And, and of course, if, 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 if you have written any book, right, the fact that you have to be reading over and over and over again, Right? And and you reading and you reading the bits that you like you want to read, but you reading the bits that you don't want to read as well, right? So 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 it was it was tough, but in me going it's going over and over, I didn't realize it was helping me heal. And then it wasn't just that; it was also helping me to capture some of the funny things. Because the book is not all about the the bad things that have happened, but it also captures the good moments, you know, the things that, that have happened, which as time goes on, you might forget it. So it, 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 it ended up being almost like a diary. Because I remember one of his cousins, when his cousin um, got the book, she wrote to me and she said, thank you, auntie. He said, because... This is going to help me to remember Mali, you know, some of the things that we did, some of the things that, you know, the time that we spent together. And then, and then the, the other part was how this would help other people who are going through similar things. So, so yeah, so it, it, it kind of like threefold for me in terms of the, the first book. And, and then, of course, the second book, um, I didn't, because I think, for me, I think there, there's only so much people can read in terms of things that are sad in one book, right? So I didn't, and that's why I split it into, into two books, because the, the second book more focuses on the three of us now, how we navigate, you know, as a family. The first book more or less talks more, gives gives a voice to Mali because there are lots of things also that I discovered after he passed, which helped me to give his side of how he was thinking and how he was feeling. So, so that focuses more on Mali and then of course on the mom, right, which is me. And then the, 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 the second book gives a voice to uh, my husband, Mali's dad. So he's able to express also from a male point of view how this impacted him. And, and you know, any reader would be able to see also how, you know, he 
you know, received that news and how he reflects back the impact of losing of losing a son, you know, in 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 that way through through suicide. And of course, uh, um, um, Mali's brother also gets to 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 share a bit about how he felt. So I give a little bit more of that to the um, to the dad and 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 to the brother, and then of course. Um, share a bit more in terms of for others who are on the outside looking in how we as a family navigate some of the things that trigger you know our loss our grief you know some of the things which hopefully people can take from that in terms of what not to say because people usually meet you and they say ah where is this person right and then you say um, that person passed. And then immediately they ask you, what happened? What happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And I have found that really hard. Yeah. You know, because it's not, what they're expecting me to say is not what I'm going to say to them. And sometimes it has really impacted on the person worse than it has me. And because of the way it impacts them, it then triggers me off. So so, so, the, so there, there was one occasion which I, I mentioned in the book where somebody asked me and I ignored the question. I just went on to counteract and ask how they were so that I didn't have to start explaining. And it's only later on they found out that, oh, this had happened. And then they were coming back to me and actually apologizing for, you know, asking. Yeah. You know, it's it's an interesting thing too, because what I, what I found was in, interesting even about your response too, is that it's like, well, when somebody asked you what happened, the what happened was a whole lot bigger than just the action that ended his life. Yes. You know, and, and that's really, you know, as you're describing it, it's like, yeah, that's really what you're trying to say is that, no, this was, this was years of struggle and, and, and difficult and good things all intertwined in kind of what happened, so to speak. And, and I, I think that that, that resonates really with me as well in terms of like, how, do, how do we describe, you know, a particular event when really there's so much more to that event in terms of the story and what's led to it and all of that kind of stuff. And, and to give that context is, is important. Not, it's important to give that context, not just for a grieving mother, but to honor the, the, the life that was lived too, and the struggle and the part of the hardship that, that, that he, he endured and went through. What kind of supports did you need at that time? You mentioned you joined a grief group. Like, obviously, people ask really terrible questions sometimes, too. But what did you need people to say? And what did you like? You were experiencing anger. How did you move through some of that? And what kinds of things helped you a little bit to honestly survive (laughs) is probably the only word. I I think, you know, one one of the things I would say, and I think it's not just that, but it's definitely my faith. Is definitely, you know, having having a very strong faith in God. Because I, I sometimes think, because I have I write down my prayers, right? 
And, and sometimes you write a prayer and it's only when you go back to it later on, maybe months later and you, and you see, Ooh, this is exactly what I had been praying for. Cause I, I had written down a prayer for Mali and I was praying for his mental health. And at the time I didn't even understand too much about mental health issues. Now I understand a whole lot more than I did then. So one of, one of the things that really helped me, and I mentioned it in the book, is that before I discovered Marley that morning, I was having a quiet time. And in that quiet time, it's like God prepared me because he, he, I read about a woman who had lost two sons and a husband. And both of them, well, all of them were killed right in front of her. And, and I was, you know, really empathizing with this woman and really admiring how she was encouraging others because that was that was the message about the whole story about the fact that she was encouraging others she wasn't turning her back on god and then it was like four four hours later i felt as if i was that woman wow and immediately when i was told that mali was gone by the paramedic Immediately, it's like God just reminded me exactly of what I had read four hours earlier. And, and that started giving me strength to say that God is in this. Because at that time, sometimes you feel as you, you think, where is God? You know, why, why wasn't I nudged, you know, during the night? Why didn't something just get me to get up so that I could just, you know, stop this? And, and then all throughout, you know, God has been just speaking to me because he said, this is not going to be the end of the story. It's not going to be, it's not going to be just about this traumatic thing. This is gonna this is gonna turn around. And he immediately dropped in me to do something that was gonna help other young people. Mm. Yeah. And and that's how um Marley's art foundation started. So now um I'm, I'm working with um, different art therapists. I'm working with schools. Um, he, God gave me the boldness to reach out to his school and to speak to the principal, to say to him, look, Mali never felt that he could trust anyone at his school to share how he, how he was. He didn't want me to say anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I spoke to the principal and I told the principal that Mali couldn't trust any of them. He couldn't trust them with what he was going through. 
he didn't want me, me as, as a parent, he didn't want me to share with him. He said, if I told the school anything, he was not going to go to school. I said, but now I want to be Marley's voice. I want to I want to tell you what he was going through. And I want to help you to at least support in putting some things right. So we with we we with his foundation, what we're doing is funding art therapy. Because whilst Marley did attend some talking therapy. He's not a talker. What would have been beneficial for him was what he loved. He, he was very artistic. He could draw and he could create different cartoons and things like that. And that would have been a good means to enable him to express how he was feeling. So now his foundation, which I, I set up, is now funding art therapy for other young people like him, you know, and we started with, with the school where he was attending. Um, that is, that's amazing. Love it. I, I was really surprised at the time because it was like um, five weeks after Mali passed and I sent him an, an email and, and told him what had happened. And I said, I would like to have an audience with him just to share, you know, um, some of the things which Mali had been going through. And he was very, I was really surprised. He was very receptive. He had a phone call with me. And if you think about it, that, that was during the pandemic. Um, schools were more or less online. And he he was putting things in place based on what I had said for when the children came back so that each and every one of them would have access to talk to somebody. And I was really, I felt, I felt immediately that, you know, I was making an impact. I was changing this, the story. This wasn't just going to end with just Marley, you know, taking his life. It was going to make make an inroad, make, give an opening for the young people to have something better. And that principal ended up um, leaving in 2022. Somebody else came on board and she is even more receptive. And now we, 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 we actually have an art therapist who, um, not, not even one, two art therapists who we are funding at the school, who um, they run in individual art therapy session once a week. They run in also group therapy sessions uh, um, um, once a week. So it's definitely making a difference. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, I just, I almost want to leave that be, but I also want to just give a little bit of commentary on it because it's just, it, it, it's strikingly close to a similar situation that's happened in our own community. But I do think that, when people listen to understand that they they create an opening or a space for healthier solutions. And I think sometimes we're really quick to try to make solutions um, make the problem go away or make the person go away, make the pain go away. 
when really um, what I hear you have done in your own life, but also this principal in the school has done is has allowed some of the the pain and the hardship and the grief to sit a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, you've you've created a solution and given a gift to not not just your own local community, but to us on the other side of an ocean. Uh, to be able to hear and your willingness to sit in, in the pain and loss of your own child and write it down and to share it for us is a huge deal. I do think that this is an important story to hear, um, not just a teenager that was struggling, but that this is, this is real and it has, it has lifelong consequences um, when, it, when it isn't something that can be freely talked about in, in a healthy context. And so I love, I, I do just want to say this, like, I hope you hear this as an encouragement. It's like, I love the art therapy perspective and, and because it brings awareness and in a school and it's teaching young people how, how to work through some of the harder things that kind of are going on in their story. And I think that's the legacy that Marley leaves and, and that you leave. Mm-hmm. And your family will leave. And I think I think you're absolutely right. The story isn't over. No, no, no. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's inspiring and also hard to hear. I, I, I definitely throughout this conversation, there's been a few moments where I'm just like, oh, this is hard to hear. A mother's heart and, and I'm sure a father's heart as well. A brother's heart as as you know, this story gets, gets reshared and it's an important story to share. What have I missed? What have we missed in terms of? I I think maybe it might be helpful to just hear even how some of like your husband and your other son dealt with some of it too. Like, it sounds like were they involved in some of this with you or was, were there other ways that they learned to cope? And then if you have any advice for parents who are grieving like you, like what you would want others to hear. Yeah, um, my 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 son is involved with the with the foundation. Yeah, we we both um, co-founders, so he's involved in that. My my husband didn't want to be involved, which I do respect because he he does things in his own way, but he supports in the background. Yeah, um, I think one of the things that really helped is having therapy. You know. I had never talked to anybody about how I feel, you know. My husband had never done it before and my son had never done it before either. But um, creating that space where we can, you know, voice, you know, one-to-one, no group, one-to-one, we each had our own individual therapist, that really helped. That really helped, you know, in those first uh, um month or so, you know, going through after everything. Um, for me, definitely my faith, the, 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 the church, you know, my friends, they have been really, really supportive, really supportive. You know, there's not a day during those times when there wasn't somebody who I could just pick up the phone and speak to. But, you know, at the same time, whilst you can have a lot of people around you and you can speak to people, you do have to have that space where 
if you want to just cry, because, you know, I remember being in this room sitting here and all of a sudden it just, I just became all overwhelmed and I was just crying my eyes out. And, and my husband came running in and my son came running in and like, and I, was, and I just wanted to be left alone so that I could just cry because, you know, you don't want somebody to comfort you because you just want to let it all out. And sometimes you need that. You need to let it all out. So it's okay to let it all out. Don't keep it in. That is important. And then, of course, there are times when you need somebody to be there to, to, to comfort you, to let you know, to give you words of encouragement and all of that. So, so, so I had to balance that. I had to balance that to make sure that I had my moments where I could just let it all out. And then I had the moments when I would pick up the phone and I would call somebody else. Because again, a woman's perspective is sometimes different from a man's perspective. And I, and during that time when, you know, there was lockdown, I was suffering or missing the, the female perspective. So I, I had people who I could just call and would just be there on the phone with me and just give me words of encouragement and just, you know, just let me talk if I just needed to talk or just, uh, um, um, you know, point me, say something funny or something to distract me. So so that really helped me. That really helped me. Yeah. Mm. Oh. Okay. oh, thank you so much for sharing the whole story with us today and being so vulnerable and, and genuine. This was a very genuine conversation and I'm grateful. I, can you tell us a little bit about how do people, how do people find your book? What, what actually is the book called? We, we didn't even, we didn't even say the title. We for didn't you. start out that way. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about the books. Both of them. The, the first book is Miley's memoir, the journey to an irreversible action and the aftermath. So that, that's the first book. This I released in 2022, June. And then the, the second book, which was released in September, this is Living Without Mali. And, and as, as a subtitle, it's sequel to Mali's memoir. They're both available on Amazon. They're both available on Amazon. And I also have a, a website. So I know not everybody wants to get book from Amazon. So if they go onto the website, um, www.magendijarrett.com, there are other retailers that I have put, they have put the link there, you know, Waterstones, Barnes & Nobles. They also um, got the books. Yeah. Okay. Oh, man. Thank you so much for your time today and for your willingness to share your story. I'm, I'm certain that it is making a difference in our world. And Marley's made a difference in the world. And, and so have you. We're grateful. Thank you. And thank you both for being so welcoming. You know, I really, I really appreciate it. You know, I have been listening to um, some of your podcasts. I like the, I like the 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 way you you interview, the way you talk. I like, the, especially, I, I love the beginning, just the two of oh. you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> About I our weeks in the weather. <laughs> 
Oh, no. Thank, <laughs> thank you, you so much, though, um, for listening and, and for sharing your story with us. Uh, we're grateful. Yeah. It was thank nice you. meeting you. Thank you. All right. Bye. Mm-hmm. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us. If this episode or the podcast has been helpful to you in any way, it would mean so much to us if you would take just 30 seconds to do one or all of these three things. First, follow or subscribe to the Unpacked podcast. This helps you never miss an episode and it goes right to your device. And it helps us so more people can find it too. To do this, head to the show page on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Then just look for the follow or the plus sign and click it. It's so important to us and it would mean so much. And hey, while you're there, if you'd be willing to give us a review, preferably five star, and share an episode with a friend that you found helpful, we would be so grateful. We are so, so grateful for this little online community. And if you're looking for more ways to support or exclusive content, you can head to our Patreon account and you can find that in the link in our bio. Again, thanks for listening.